Hey, uh, we're here. I'm Josh. This has been, we're going to uh, switch. I'm sorry. Do you want to say hey? Yeah, I just was saying hi. It's okay. weird being on this side. It is. So we're switching seats today. I mean, not uh, figuratively, not literally. We're still in the same seats. But I'll be hosting today. Ben will be sharing with you from this past yeah. week's sermon. So this is overtime. This is all the stuff that didn't make it into the sermon and any questions that you may have. By the way, while you're listening to this, we need more questions from you guys. It would help kind of shape this content each week. So remember, right on the back of the bulletin or email, overtime at clcfamily.church. That'd be a really great way for us to at least create some kind of dialogue. We'd love, love, love to share with you some more. The reality is uh, there's 10, 20 hours with the research going into this and only you know 50 or so minutes worth of material that gets to be delivered. So um, we'd love to shape that better for you. So what usually happens is I'm going to Ben usually gives you some updates, announcements, that kind of stuff, and then I give a recap, so we're going to do that different today. So yeah. a couple things I want you to be aware of. You guys are awesome. We think about eight to 10,000 yeah. cookies uh, came in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yesterday. Uh, now, one of the things that's really interesting, and I want to be uh, careful uh, with how we uh, kind of announce this, but um, there is a, a calendar issue uh, that uh, that happened uh, at Lincoln, and they have now confirmed that their actual day for the cookies and cider is tomorrow night, December yes. 4th. And so if you're going, I couldn't help on Monday, but now you can help on Wednesday. Well, then great. You could actually go help us set up and then come over for cow and then go help us tear down all sorts yeah. of stuff. If you want to help with that tomorrow night, so if you're listening to this live, this is December 3rd. On December 4th, we'll be over at Link University. We'll send you another update via the app later, but you can uh, go to clcfamily.church, click on signups or forward slash signups. And you can register. Now, what you're going to notice there is it's going to say Monday. But it's not Monday. It's Wednesday. And you can sign up to help. Or if you're going, I don't know what to do. really like to help. but not sure. Uh, you can just email Ben, B-E-N. That actually sounds more like B-I-N. So, Ben, B-E-N. It's I Ben. However he says I don't know. It. I'm, I'm from the South. That's how, that's how we talk. It's Ben. Ben? Is that? Ben. That's so what I hear. Ben at clcfamily.church. And he'd, he'd follow up with you. That's right. That way. Now, one other thing I want to tell you about since we're now in... December and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We should add some Christmas decorations here. Should have some poinsettias. Um, we'll have some poinsettias next week. No, we won't. Uh, we might. Actually, we're going to now. Will we? Okay. I think so. Okay. Whatever. So uh, since it's Christmas, uh, two things I want to tell you about. First and foremost, some of you are already trying to plan your Christmas calendar, and you come to our Christmas Eve services, which yeah. you should. They're exactly an hour. Lots of good music. Uh, very family friendly. Well, we'll have three of those again this year on Christmas Eve. Uh, here, and I'm talking from the studio at Christian Life Center, here at CLC uh, this Christmas Eve, we'll have two identical services one at 5 p.m. and one at 7 p.m. And don't worry, mamas of babies, we'll feed you. Okay? Uh, not really feed you. Uh, I was going to say we'll feed you baby birds, but sorry. So don't worry, we'll watch your children if they're preschool and under. So we'll have childcare for preschool and under. The service will be geared and about to, for families, and so your elementary school student uh, will love, love, love the service. So that's 5 and 7 p.m. at the Christian Life Center, both 60-minute services. And then at 9 p.m. at our original campus, New London Presbyterian Church, down, to, down on 896, just, just south of um, Christian Life Center. At 9 p.m., we'll have a traditional candlelit service, traditional hymns, organ, and uh, Pastor Jeff uh, our, the pastor is here for 30 years. He will be doing that service, and some of you have been going to that with him for 30 years. So show back up, 9 p.m. That is the Christmas Eve schedule, which now leads to the last thing, which is this. We are in the middle of our Christmas series. Ben kicked it off this uh, 
this past weekend, and the, 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 the working title, the title that is Wonder. And here's kind of here's kind of the big idea, right? Now, if the there's a we would say there's a God, right? There's a creator, right? If there is a creator, which we go, okay, we're all here, something created it. Even the brightest minds would say there's something bigger than us. If there is a creator, you go, well, why does the creator create creation? Two really, really simple reasons. One is for us to marvel at it. Right. To acknowledge the, the the wondrous part of the whole universe. That's why I would argue, yeah, there's probably not aliens somewhere else. You can go do your own thing there if you want to argue or whatever. That's fine. You can go watch your Star Trek too. Okay. You know um, we're putting this online, right? Is this online? Yeah. This goes online. So this is where all the people hang out. Oh my gosh. Aliens. What Ben is saying, if you watch stuff online, you're probably a nerd. No, and that's, that's not what, what he's saying. So he's suggesting that. And so you're like, I, I was, love my Star Trek. I was suggesting that you were a theorist. That's a theorist? what I was suggesting. Uh... I'm a theorist that I no, I'm a practitioner. I've never seen an alien. Okay, in my practical life for 30 right. years. So, anyway, so if there's a God who created everything, and the idea of the whole universe is for us to help see and marvel at what God created, right? All, the, all those really neat parts of that. The other piece of why we argue that creation was created by a creator is the same reason we have kiddos, which is for us to actually be in relationship with them. Now, we all know that's complicated and messed up and so a lot of days we wonder if God's close to us or if he's real and we wonder if he wouldn't be in a relationship with us then why is it so messed up and why do we feel so disconnected and the reality of that is, is pretty elementary. The same reason that you have uh, fractured relationships with your parents or with your exes, there's something that happened in the relationship that made it go south. Yeah. And so we see in the Bible that what made it go south as God directed a plan, told us he'd love us forever, told us that he would give us good things and care for us and uh, that we'd be with him for all eternity and, and get to enjoy all the good things. He actually declared it as good over and over again. And then we go, nope, we like our plan better than God, God's. And the relationship got fractured. Same reason some of you don't spend Christmas with your family. We are in a spot where our relationship got fractured. And you go, well, either it's over or there's a God who can resolve all that. And our argument, the Bible, is very clear about this. That God actually came up with a plan to resolve it all, which is beautiful. So the creator of the universe created everything, created everything. And then after creating everything, created us in that as kind of the pinnacle apex of um, relationships, of, of creation. And then we get connected. And then all of a sudden, from the very beginning, we go, nope, we like our plan better than God's. And then all of a sudden, there's been this big fracture. And so uh, from that point forward, the Bible captures this really beautifully. God has been working on a perfect rescue plan. Now, right. Some of you like Steven Spielberg. Some of you like M. Night Shyamalan. You know, all these different... Uh, Stephen King, you know, uh, different writers and John Grisham, whoever these guys are. And you go, there's some brilliant story makers, right? But the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence, created the Grand Canyon, created everything we see, created all the stars, all the rainbows, all the beautiful stuff that we see, right? That God also decided to chart out a rescue story. That's right. So if there's a rescue story that God charted out, like it's got to be the best story in the world. And so... You think about what was his rescue story, and the crazy part of that is, is God comes up with this crazy plan where he steps onto this planet himself, Jesus, in the form of a human baby. And you go, that just doesn't make sense. And I would agree with that. And so it makes sense that we pause and go, this is the greatest story ever written. Right. Then shouldn't we not just get in the middle of the hustle and bustle and instead pause for a second to really, really consider what, what the story is? means and which leads to kind of this past week's message on God yeah. being with us. So why don't you just give a recap? Of yeah. So, um, really kind of in light of that, I'm trying to think through it kind of organizationally, how I, I went through the message and hopefully this is similar to that. Uh, basically what we did was we kind of started off just talking about exactly that 
thing is that don't let this be another Christmas where kind of the hustle and bustle, the chaos, because there seems to always be a lot of chaos that surrounds Christmas, the holiday season. There's just always something going on. Don't let those things kind of be an excuse or get in the way of actually being able to reflect and think about this incredible story of God coming to earth in human flesh. And so that was kind of how we, we kind of kicked it off at first and just trying to, to talk through that a little bit. We, uh, depending on what service you were at, uh, we actually had some technical difficulties at our last one. We lost power for about 15 minutes. So if you were watching online and it cut out, sorry, that service wasn't available. But Or if you have some experience in the audio video world and go, I'd like to work part-time. great segment. Next weekend, actually, we'll get back to it. But next weekend, you'll hear, we'll post and we'll make it available, that we're looking to hire you know, 10, 20 hour a yeah. week, part-time audio video person to help with all this fun stuff. But, right. So had a little bit of fun with that and was able to just kind of say, hey, Again, the whole point is to not miss Christ in this crazy season. And then as we were kind of going through it, what we did was we looked at this specific um, chapter, and specifically in that chapter, in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, there's this prophecy about Emmanuel, that a virgin would give birth and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what we did was we basically looked at that second fulfillment of that prophecy. And there's there was so much more that we could get into that I think today we'll, we'll kind of talk through as it comes up. But we looked at that second fulfillment of that prophecy, and that was when Christ came from heaven to earth. It, you see it in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 23. It's that same exact reference of Isaiah 7, 14. And his name shall be, so what was a title... Emmanuel becomes the name of Jesus in the New Testament, which means God with us. And so there was kind of a lot of history that we talked about in Isaiah chapter 7. But then what I really hope people kind of heard in that is that the character, the very nature of who God is, because he reveals himself in the name of Emmanuel, is that God is always with us. And he can't change who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if we're really understanding that this is who Christ is, that he is with us, that means he's with us through the difficult seasons. That means he's with us through the the, the good seasons, the bad seasons, and everything in between. So uh, that's kind of what I would say is the recap of really that was that was the main thing of just understanding that that God is, Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, that he's not a distant, far-off deity that doesn't care about who we are or what we're going through, but he cares intimately about who we are. And that was foretold thousands of years or 700 years to be specific before Christ even showed up on this earth. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so uh, you talked a little bit about Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, Israel, yeah. Judah. Um, I know you didn't get to talk a lot about that, but do you, yeah. why do you think that it's significant that Isaiah speaking to this, <laughs> the Southern Kingdom? Um, so specifically, when you look at this, uh, is you, you have the Northern Kingdom and then the Southern Kingdom, and there's so much history there. Ten tribes, two tribes. What you actually see is that in this Southern Kingdom, this is in the lineage of David. And ultimately, what you see in that is that from the line of David, and this is even talked about in Isaiah as well, from the line of David is where we see Christ's descendants, if you will. I mean, he was from God, so his human descendants, if you will, was in the line of David. So even that was to fulfill more of these prophecies that were spoken about in the Old Testament, um, that he would come from the shoot of of. Uh, yeah, the shoot of Israel. Oh, man, I'm forgetting yeah. that scripture verse. But shoot of Jesse. Shoot of Jesse. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, I think that that was the significance specifically in the southern kingdom that Jesus was in the line of King David, and that's why we kind of see this heritage there. So Isaiah shows up and declares something to this kingdom. What What is it that Isaiah, what is God trying to do? Is God trying to get them to change their behavior? Yeah. Or, or is God knowing that they're not going to change their behavior? Uh, that's a really good question. So I, I think ultimately God knows yeah. all things, yeah. so he knows that they're not going to. But, but the entire book of Isaiah is this prophecy on two separate things. There's kind of the judgment and then the hope yeah. side. And I know that you've taken a course or a class or you, you've studied Isaiah too. So correct me if I say anything that's I inaccurate, know. but, but uh, basically I just talk fast is all I do. And try, look confident. Is, is that it? Talk fast and look confident. I'm, yeah. I'm working on those two things. I'm not sure how, how well I'm doing at them, but uh, Isaiah is basically, there's this judgment that Isaiah is talking about that if, if Israel, and I'm using that term as both the Northern and the yeah. Southern tribes, um, if they don't turn from their ways, if they don't turn from their rebellion, if they don't turn from their idolatry, then God was going to use the nations around them to bring punishment. So so it is this message of judgment, but it's also this message of hope where we see ultimately the fulfillment of Christ, the as what they talk about in Isaiah, that new Jerusalem, which we look at towards the end times and we say, hey, this new Jerusalem is when God establishes his kingdom here on earth, and it's a kingdom that cannot be defeated, a kingdom that will reign forever. So so this book of Isaiah is really complicated in the sense that there's judgment and kind of a condemnation of saying, hey, you need to stop doing this. But ultimately, God knew that they wouldn't choose to turn from their rebellious ways or their idolatry. And then ultimately, what you see happen is that southern kingdom eventually does fall to the Babylonian Empire, which... The world power in the, this time of Isaiah chapter 7, the world power would have been Assyria. Assyria falls to Babylon, and then Babylon overtakes the southern kingdom. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, so you had mentioned that uh, Ahaz, as king, was kind of hedging, or hedging his bets, and yeah. kind of going, my security, my comfort, right. and, you know, my my hope is in Assyria. Right. right. And so right. why do you think he did that? Was it because they're small? Is that... Okay. So he was, yeah, if you look at the two tribes, Mm -hmm. um, or excuse me, you look at the two kingdoms, and this is where it gets complicated. In fact, I I felt like on Saturday night, I probably tried to explain a little bit too much of the history. So on Sunday, I kind of had scaled that back a little bit. But this is where it gets really kind of complicated. As you look at these two kingdoms, the northern kingdom was composed of the ten tribes, and then the southern kingdom was composed host of two tribes. It was Judah and, and Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah, that I think that one's easiest for me to remember yeah. because of my name. So as you look at just the, the numeric value yeah. of that, just by that alone, yeah. and Ephraim was the largest tribe yeah. in that northern yeah. kingdom, just by that, their their numbers would have been larger than the southern kingdom. Yeah. And then add to that the, the alliance that they have with the Syrians. And then as the Syrians uh, liberate, I think it was Edom, um, those Edomites yeah. most likely joined in that alliance. And now you've got kind of this these ten tribes yeah. and then this other nation and now other peoples that are coming against. So my assumption is, is that he was kind of looking and going, there's no way that we can do this. And in fact, um, I think it was in Chronicles 28, First Chronicles 28. Maybe it was Second Chronicles. I think it was 28. I can't remember if it was first or second. What you see, and I mentioned this, I think, during the services too, is that in this battle, and we didn't have time to really go through all yeah. of the, everything that's happening here because it's it's just really complex. Even in Isaiah, it's really Isaiah chapter 7 through 12 
that here is this kind of long prophecy, and this is concerning King Ahaz in this specific time. And so what you see, um, I completely blanked on my thought. Where chronicles. Talking about Chronicles. Yeah, in Chronicles, basically what you see is that in one day of battle, and I'm not exactly sure where this yeah. fits in exactly to where the prophecy came in Isaiah, is that the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, lost 120,000 men. Valiant men is what it says in one day. So that's a yeah. lot of a lot of men to fall. And so who knows? It could have been Ahaz's confidence yeah, have that slowly mean, falls. That's or, a high percentage. Yeah, then, probably. Yeah. Yeah, and then also there's, uh, I think it's that same chapter in uh, Chronicles 28. Um, I'm going to just guess and say it's First Chronicles 28. It, also that 100 or 200,000 men, women, and children were actually kind of taken into exile into the northern kingdom. Ultimately, God kind of redeems those people by a prophet in the northern kingdom that says, hey, you need to return them. Yeah. And so they do return. But I imagine that for Ahaz, as he's seeing kind of this wave of destruction coming towards him, he's starting to panic. He's going, uh, okay, this God who has, he's heard about, he knows about, he was the first king that really did evil and didn't follow God in that southern kingdom for a hundred years. He probably, in my mind, he's probably going, why, why should I trust in Jesus? Like if all of these things are happening, if all of this bad, all of this is going on, why should I? Now, I think that there's more to that story than just him choosing to do that. Yeah. I think that he had a, a heart that was cold towards God. But but as he's seeing this wave of destruction kind of come towards him, I can imagine that he's panicking a little bit. Yeah. He's going, uh, what do I do? And so he reaches out to ultimately what becomes kind of the world power in that yeah. time. Yeah, so it's, it's so funny because um, I, mean, I don't watch Survivor. I think all yeah. the shows are silly, but... Basically, what you have is a big game of Survivor. You know, so imagine you got twelve people. with the alliances. Yeah, you got ten and two, and let's get the big guy. Yeah. All the, you know, and right. so if you ever seen Hunger Games or read the right. books, it's like throughout history, there's always. Been, I mean, even now, even yeah. now, we're talking about you know, like allies. There's like this, right. the way by which you hedge it is by inviting people with power, and right. you know, those things. And so, what you see throughout those things, you know, so what basically. Okay, what's what's Ahaz's greatest idol? Yeah, I guess self-preservation. I, I guess you know, yeah. like or, you know, so. It's like at the, at the end of the day, that's you yeah. know, Don Miller. Uh, Don Miller wrote Blue Like Jazz. And, okay, yep. Uh, so he wrote, uh, he, and maybe it was in his next book, Searching for God Knows What. I'm not not positive here, but he talked about imagining an alien coming down on this planet, right? yeah, and going, okay. Um, that alien, which they're not real, okay? So <laughs> We've already covered full that. Full circle. Go okay? back to yeah. the first okay? part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not going to beam me up, okay? Um, so imagine an alien come down and trying to define what it is that humans do. Right, right. I think I've and, heard this. And what he yeah. talks about is the, that he would imagine the, the alien would come up with the, the lifeboat theory, mm-hmm. which basically says, imagine that everybody's on a lifeboat, and you have more people in the lifeboat that can fit on a lifeboat. lifeboat. So people got to go off the lifeboat, right, right? right? And so the solution to that is, how do you define who gets thrown off? And so then I haven't heard this. Then, yeah. So so, <laughs> so then so you go, okay. Well, all these people are trying to figure out how to survive on a lifeboat, so they're spending all their time and energy explaining, yeah, their value to the society, okay. right? And so, in other words, all they're trying to do. So if you had imagined, you know, humankind, what they're trying to do is just trying to preserve their own life yeah. in whatever way it is, whether that's putting money in the bank putting food in the pantry, right. making yourself indispensable, all these kind of different things. And so you have this king who leans fully in and going, okay, this yeah. is the, this is probably the safest bet. Yeah. 
And so um, I guess the question there is, is that is that an inappropriate way to respond? To go, how do we do? Do we not connect create alliances yeah. to protect ourselves? What do you I, think? That? Well, so I think that's a complicated answer, yeah. at least in my my mind. So I'm kind of thinking through this. I think that that's the natural response, yeah. but I don't think that that should be really where we turn to in times of of difficulty and struggle. Like mm-hmm. especially so specifically for Ahaz, yeah. like as Isaiah comes to him. He says to him, and I forget exactly what verse. I should have probably looked this up so I had it um, available to me. Um, so what he says to him, he says, stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. Yeah. yeah. So, that, I remember you saying that. So that's that really interesting because what what God is telling Ahaz, and he's the fact that he's a wicked, idolatrous king that has done nothing to really pursue God and really to to have his kingdom pursue God, God still gives him grace and shows him mercy. And he says, hey, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is stand firm in your faith yeah. or you won't stand at all. So I think that specifically in this case, I think that, yeah, I, all Ahaz had to do was trust in the Lord. Like uh, in my mind, what I picture, and this is not reading scripture and this is what it says, but this yeah. is kind of in my mind. I can imagine that uh, even this prophecy where it happens is by an aqueduct. And basically what you, what scholars believe is that Isaiah is, or Ahaz is probably going to inspect the aqueduct or aqueduct, aqueduct, whatever those aqueduct. Um, He's going to inspect it because he's about to, this is about to, uh, you know, this wave is about to crash over the city. And so he's inspecting the water source, which would be really, Obviously, a big thing, if they're about to be under attack, he wants to make sure that water's still able to be there so that they can hold out against this. And so, in that, I imagine that that this destruction has happened, 120,000 die, 200,000 are carried off. But then, in this interaction that Isaiah has with Ahaz, what I imagine is that in his panic and in his fear, God is going, relax, be calm. In fact, that's even the beginning yeah. of that. And I just got Isaiah... Um, let me see if I can find it. Unless you already found it. Yeah, so uh, uh, so it basically says, uh, verse 9, B, if you do not stand firm in your faith, right. uh, you will not stand at all. Right. So I guess what I'm curious to is going, okay, well, how do you stand firm in your faith? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, so kind of, that's even part of that second question. So for us, so specifically for, you know, Ahaz, it's easier when maybe a prophet's coming to you to say, hey, this is what God says. Like there's a, an actual messenger. And we know that Isaiah was a decent prophet because if you were a false prophet, like if you said something that didn't come to be, you would literally be killed. So uh, I'm guessing that Isaiah, killed you. Yeah, Isaiah is pretty He's good. So. Seven and oh, haven't yeah. lost the battle yet. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Isaiah is pretty good at this. Yeah. So maybe it was easier for him, but for us, how do we how do we curb that natural tendency to go, okay, my my world is, is falling apart or things are crashing or things look like they're about to be bad. And I think that I have an answer that's a lot easier to talk about than it is to actually yeah. do. And what I would say is that in those times, especially when you begin to understand that God is Emmanuel, that Jesus revealed himself as Emmanuel. So here we go, we're talking about the history, but now we're also fast forwarding to that second fulfillment of the prophecy. If Jesus is with us, then I think that same exact message applies to us. Um, And there's even a part before that. um, 
trying to find it. It will not happen. Will not. Sorry, I'm trying to find it. Uh, I forgive you. <laughs> there's a part before that where where basically God speaks to Ahaz and says, "Be quiet, be calm." Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So here quiet, it is, uh, verse calm. four. Say to him, "Be careful, yeah. keep calm, and don't be afraid." Yeah. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of yeah. firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and the son of uh, Rumelade. That's not what it says. Remaliah, I yeah, think. Yeah. I, I actually went on to like speak Bible or speak yeah. Hebrew or whatever it was all week and was practicing some of these names. And then I decided not to actually say most of them. Yeah. But I, I would. What I would say is again, I think this is a lot easier to say than it is to live out. Is mm -hmm. that I think that. If we know that that Christ is our Emmanuel, that if he is with us, then I think that that same message applies to us. Be calm, be still. Yeah. Like the Lord will fight for us. So even referencing back to Joshua, like I think that in some of those things, the best thing for us to do is to just take a couple deep yeah. breaths and just kind of know that that we're not alone, yeah. that God is with us and that he is there no matter what we go through, highs or lows. And so even though our natural tendency is to want to go, okay, I need to align and I need to do this and I need to do this. And for me, I'm a doer. So yeah, I, I naturally, like things break and I start fixing. Like I'm, okay, me that too. means this, 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 this. Yeah. But really what I think, even in this passage, what I think that we can learn is maybe the first step should be going, okay, God, what is it that you would have yeah. for me? What do I need to do? Is it like it says in verse four? Be, uh, be cal keep calm and do not be afraid. So uh, that's, I guess, how I would answer that. How do you stand firm in your faith? Um, I, I think on some level it has to do with the trust. And what's ironic about trust is that I feel like the more you put your trust in God, the more you step out, the bigger that that level of trust grows. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe maybe for something small, if you're you know, you're not sure if you can trust God with your finances because you have all of these bills. Maybe start in one small little area. And I promise God will be faithful in that. And even Malachi, what you see is that there was one place where, another place in scripture where God says, test me in this. In Malachi 3.10, he says, test me in this. If you if you give, I will open the, the floodgates, of floodgates of heaven and pour out my blessing. Like, so in that sense that God is saying, hey, if if you test me in this, I'm going to show myself worthy. I'm going to show myself more than capable of handling whatever it is that you're facing. And I think that maybe that's just it. Just small steps of faith. How do you do that? Well, over time it grows. But maybe just doing something or maybe not doing something that you would normally do and just being calm and being still. Yeah, so you know what's interesting is in that passage, uh, verse 4, it says... I uh, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Whatever. You know, like, uh, like be careful. <laughs> whatever. And keep calm. What is this? Like, yeah. that, like, uh, like that's not, like, those are not things that I no. am, right? And yeah. so then it says, don't be afraid. I'm not saying what, I mean, I mean it. Like, I, I'm just joking about the whatever. Obviously, it makes sense. All of us have, you know, just taken a deep breath before we respond matters. But right. what I love about that is more the, um, do not lose heart. Yeah. Because, like, you see that in Joshua, that, that term, if I remember correctly, I know it does in, in the Greek, I'd guess in the Hebrew as well. Uh, do not lose her heart is another way to say, like, uh, take courage. Right. Right. There's a, a reflection of that. Like, so when Jesus says in John 16, 
in this world, you will have trouble. Right. By the way, that is not like, that's a prophecy. Right. You know, like he is saying, <laughs> you will have trouble. Not, it's not a fun it's one. It's impossible. No, he's going, yeah. you will have trouble. So yeah. every time we have trouble, we go, well, I didn't expect that. Well, right. Jesus actually is declaring those things. If what God says is true, is true, then in this world, you have trouble, but take heart right. for I've overcome the world. And so um, that literally means to take courage. And so I think it is important kind of to point out because I think a lot of us probably, I do for sure, maybe you feel it as well, some real insecurity around this. Oh, I messed it up again. Man, I'm not good at faith. Hmm. Well, there's a reason you're not good at faith. Faith is really courageous. Like, you have to be really, really courageous. So we're talking about jumping out of an airplane. Right, right. Courageous, you know? So, like, to just go, you know, it's okay, stand firm. We understand that's really hard. And that's why I love the idea of a church that surrounds you and it's going, look, God's going to love you. You're not going to be homeless. Right. Like that we can do together because we got to take courage in this. And so this idea of walking in faith is really, really hard. It's a J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church, I think president of Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. I think he defines uh, faith, and I'm going to mess this up. He says it's um, where the inexplicable meets the undeniable. Hmm. So it's this idea that I can't explain it. I can't fix this. I don't see a way out. Like I don't uh, meets the undeniable. Well, okay, what I do know is that God can. Yeah. So when right. those two things intersect, so it's in these moments where I guess Ahaz shows up uh, as Ahaz shows yeah. up and goes, this is going to end really badly for you. Oh, I can't explain that. Yeah. But if this guy is a man of God, then that is, can't deny it either. So yeah. my only option here is to take courage. And that's just really, really hard. Right. So, right. And, and to, if I can yeah. kind of even press in, so you said like faith is kind of jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. But generally, most people just don't go and jump out of an airplane. I mean, unless you're in military and that's the requirement, like that's part of what you're doing. Yeah. But if you are going to recreational, you do that, you're probably going to be around people that are doing it. Or like there's, there's different levels of yeah. investment, right? Yeah. Like you're going to look into it. You're going to research yeah. it. You're going to see how much it costs. You're going to like, so there's even steps of faith that if you're jumping, if yeah. faith is jumping out of an airplane, there's even steps that happen before you get to that point that help either, you know, yeah. boost your faith or take away from it. So I think, but to your point that it all starts with somewhere, like yeah. so at some point you're going, well, this doesn't make sense, but God can do it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I have to choose to trust. So it has to come at some point, but it's just a lot of times we look at people's faith, or at least yeah. I've done this in the past. I look at people's faith and I'm like, man, I wish I had the, I don't know, the courage that they had to yeah. talk to somebody about Christ the way that they yeah. are so open to it or, or whatever. But many times what we don't see is that, that private where they are, uh, where they're in their Bible, where they're yeah. disciplined, where they're taking small steps of faith and, and most likely they didn't just jump out of an airplane. They had small encounters where God showed himself faithful and showed himself faithful and showed himself faithful. So, so if you are at a place where you're, you're feeling like, man, I messed up again. I would say, don't kick yourself. If God is going to give grace to Ahaz who really didn't deserve any grace at all. I mean, he sacrificed his son to another God. Like I, I don't, I'm not a parent, but I have no comprehension of how you could actually do that. Some of you are like, <laughs> I get it. Oh, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, oh, get it. maybe it was similar to that. Who yeah. knows? Well, yeah. if Ahaz was a bad kid, yeah. maybe he had terrible kids. I don't know. But yeah. yeah. So Hezekiah made the cut. Yeah. Hezekiah was safe. Yeah. So, but I, I just think yeah. that that's the point that it's like, it, it's small steps that eventually grow and your faith grows as you do that. Yeah. So I think like even the church, one of the things, you know, you hear that, like I've been in the devotionals at like, 
basketball. The chaplain comes in and he passes around little mustard seeds, right? Little yeah. mustard seeds, and they're really tiny. And it's like you can have the faith of a mustard seed, and you can move a mountain. Let's go beat this team, whatever it is, right? Like yeah, but that's what God cares about, right? He does not care about your sports team. He is completely and one hundred percent devoted to the Georgia Bulldogs. And so, um, but in that, right? Um, I've always heard that if you have the faith of you know a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So you've heard that and you go, okay, I have faith that God's going to do this. I have faith that it's like, I think part of that faith piece is going, if you actually believe that, go grab a shovel. Right. You right. know, like there's something in that that goes, I'm so confident in this. I'm taking off the week right. and I'm taking my shovel and I'm going to, I'm going to move that and I'm right. going to take courage and do those things. And so I think, and I, I love the plane analogy because it is, I mean, jumping out of a plane is the faith of a mustard seed. Right. It's not like the, you know, because... You need a very, very tiny bit of faith right. for a very tiny moment. Like I'm talking about one tenth of a second of faith. Right. You just take gravity from right. here and lean out, and it's just too late, right? And so, a lot of times, I, what I'm trying to work on personally, not really great at it. So, I, this isn't follow me as I do this well. It's uh, putting a moratorium on the rest of it, right? Okay, God, God's got this. No more thoughts about it. Yeah. God, like I'm jumping on the plane. Yeah. I'm, I'm leaving the plane. I'm jumping. Whether that's yeah. an irreversible step or just putting a moratorium going, I can't think about that anymore because right. God's got right. this. So everything else I'm going to do is is not faith anymore. So faith right. is going, okay, God, this is yours. Yeah. And then having to remind yourself every time you want to think about it, no, no, this right. is God's. This is God's. So I right. think it's imagining kind of that uh, transition of where your weight is applied. So I'm no longer in the plane. I'm now leaning out and I can't go back on the plane. So I've got to go back there. So I think there is this idea of taking a courageous leap to go, yeah. God, I've trusted you. I've written the check. I've, you know, I've said what I'm supposed to say. I've sent the text. I've yeah. made the call. I've, you know, uh, sent the email, whatever those things are. I've, I've received the call. I've, I've knocked on the door, whatever those things are and going, yeah. okay, God, the rest of this is yeah. in your hands. And if you don't show up, uh, <laughs> then you're in the same place you already are right? in a place that you can't depend on yourself because right. what's that undeniable? Is that at some point we'll all end up in the ground, right? Because we cannot right. solve that problem, right? Just like Ahaz ends up in the ground, which leads yeah. me to a question: What happens to Ahaz? So somebody asked, actually asked me on, I think it was one of the Sunday uh, services, like, "Hey, so did King Ahaz ever turn from his his ways?" Mm-hmm. And there is no mention of that at all. Like he did not, as far as we know, like he he died, and then. Um, actually you and I had talked about this a little bit yesterday too. So he's kind of asking a loaded question that he already knows the answer to, but, uh, Ahaz dies and they don't even bury him with the other Kings of Judah or the other Kings outside of Jerusalem. Like they, they, he dies and they bury him outside of the city, which would have been obviously like, this would have been a place where Kings, this was kind of a, you know, uh, a reverent place. If I, if I can use that word, like you were a person of, of privilege and honor. Like they, they were somebody, you were somebody special that they would remember, but they're going, nah, we're just going to put his body over. They actually, I think I read it. They cremated his body and then put it with the cat litter. (laughs) Is that what text did you read that? Because that in Hezekiah. Oh, okay. Hezekiah. So one of the really crazy things there is like, imagine that, like, the worst thing in the world that could happen to you is deal with a demon's yeah. feces, right? Which is a cat. So it, it ends up really, really bad. So you're, you're confusing people. That's not actually in the Bible at all. Hezekiah is not a book in the Bible. It's not. So, it's a so. person in the Bible. It was yeah. actually Which he makes has sense his, that he, yeah, but anyway, he so. has his son. So he doesn't make it in. Yeah. So he just dies. That's As far as I know, I, I didn't actually research the yeah. end of his life yeah. like as 
and, and really, I sound really intelligent right now, but it's because I put a week of study into this, probably about 20 hours. So yeah. it, you can ask me questions and I'll have to be honest. Like part of it is that I enjoy the study of it. Yeah. So I always enjoy messages and I always tend to get more in it for, for, probably for myself than yeah. for the rest. Cause even the history, just diving so deep into that. Um, like I said, from Saturday to, to Sunday, I, I had to kind of call an audible and yeah. change some stuff. Cause it, while I thought it was really fascinating, I, I think it distracted really from where we were trying to get to of just recognizing that Christ is our Emmanuel, yeah. um, that he was the second fulfillment of that prophecy. So I want to get to that in just a second, yeah. the Emmanuel piece. But one of the things, you know, one of the things about the scriptures that we know is they're both uh, timeless, meaning yeah. what was declared. This is really neat to think about because when you think about like when something bad happens, like you have a child die of an overdose, right. what you see happen in those moments is parents go, we can't waste this. Right. We can't right. waste this pain. How do we take this pain and leverage it for the good of other folks, right? Mm-hmm. So you just see that throughout history. All these different things where people are actually responding out of their pain and suffering and go, what happened to me? I don't want to happen to someone else, right? right. right. And so you got that piece for Isaiah in this. He's, he's capturing it. It's getting written in the scriptures and 2,000 mm-hmm. years, 700 mm-hmm. years later, for us now 3,700 years later or 2,700 years later, what we're now doing is going, okay, Ahaz didn't do the right thing here. Right. right, but that doesn't mean we don't have to, that we don't get the opportunity. We can stand firm in our faith. Right. We can take heart. Right. We can right. be calm. And so there's something in that to go. We can learn from from Ahaz. So that's the the timeless piece, right? But the the timely meaning it was actually declared and written for a very specific group of people in that yeah. point. So what does and you might not know the answer to this. I remember you do. What does what does Judah get? Like I'm talking about that. Right, what does this kingdom get yeah. from this message? So you, kind of the first part of that yeah. prophecy. Yeah. yeah. And so this was even something that I struggled with. So kind of the cutting room floor is what we talked yeah. about. This is one of those things where I really wanted to tie it in. Um, but again, I felt like I didn't have enough time yeah. that it would probably be a distraction. And so really the, the first fulfillment of this prophecy, and there's, there's multiple opinions on this. Like I think I read four different commentaries that had four opposing views yeah. or some of them that tied into others. Share with me. I'll tell you. Um, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, uh, so there's basically, there's one opinion that it was just the fulfillment of Christ. And I, I don't believe that. Like, because especially when you're looking towards the end of this, we've read it on uh, over the weekend, verses um, 15 through 17, um, yeah. where it says Eating this. Curds. Yeah. Mm. So before uh, Emmanuel, this Emmanuel, this child that would be called Emmanuel, will be eating curds and honey before he knows the he knows the right and wrong to reject. Before the boy knows enough to reject the right and wrong, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. So what we're seeing is within two to three years there, the land of the two kings of Syria and of the northern tribes that that would be laid waste. Yeah. So, so that's not 700 years later. That's that, not 700 yeah. years later. And so really this is this is where it gets a little bit confusing because we can't really answer all of the questions here. What it appears, especially in this, the research that I, I think I've done, and I think that this is the, the best answer, is that as Isaiah is telling this prophecy, he's telling of a woman in that time that right then was a virgin, but she would ultimately give birth to a son And this is where it gets complicated because uh, Emmanuel, and she'll name him Emmanuel. That Emmanuel, when you look at Isaiah 8, 8, looks like Emmanuel is not a name at this point. It looks like it's just a title. It looks like that's the title for Jerusalem or or Judah. Um, And so it's a little bit complicated because you're going, well, how does that quite make sense? And so I think, again, a lot of this is pointing to the second fulfillment. 
But in that time, that first fulfillment, I think, was the birth of a child who we believe, even if you read the beginning of chapter 8, was Isaiah's son. Now, it's complicated because you see in the beginning of 7, Isaiah brought his son to this meeting with Ahaz. So how is it a virgin birth? Is it a second wife? Say you can bring your is children it... to meetings. <laughs> you can, I'm Just sure. Just take them on in with you. <laughs> it's okay. And God actually told him to. Yeah. But yeah. even that, the name of his son. That will go well. Son, Tell and, him that yeah, God told me to bring my kids. Yeah, but the name of his son was, uh, it meant a remnant shall return. So yeah. I think that that was even part of the prophecy. And, and it doesn't really even talk about that. So so it gets a little complicated because you're going, well, how is it a virgin if it's his current wife? But was it his current wife? Did he have multiple wives? I've read one yeah. commentary, and I have no idea where they got this information, but they said his first wife could have died during childbirth of mm -hmm. his son, and this could have been a, a second wife that he yeah. took. And as he's telling Ahaz, maybe it's in the company of people because he also says house of Judah. Maybe he's referring to more than just Ahaz. Um, maybe there's a group of people and he's talking about this, this person right here will, the virgin, yeah. she will give birth to a son. And so it's, it's a little bit hard to kind of completely wrap my yeah. mind around because I don't think that we have answers. We have a lot of speculation, um, but there was an immediate fulfillment of that prophecy that a son would be born and that he would eat curds and honey, which apparently was something that as toddlers grew from just kind of milk that they needed, they, the, those were the first two things that they apparently ate in that time. And as Assyria comes to help the southern kingdom, Assyria starts to oppress that southern kingdom. And because of that, you see kind of the rest of chapter 7, this oppression that happens to where there's a ton of, of livestock that, aren't, that are producing a ton of milk, but they don't have any young. Yeah. So there's an excess of milk, so therefore there would be an excess of curds. And then also honey, where there was plowed lands and in this um, agricultural um, area would now be thorns and briars. And so there would be a lot of natural bees. So these would be two things that, even though it sounds good, like, oh, he'll be eating curds and honey. That's a great thing. Like I think of the promised yeah. land, milk yeah. and honey. Like, yeah. that's great. But in this context, what's actually happening is that God is warning that because of Assyria and the oppression that they would yeah. bring to the southern kingdom, that there would be an excess of these things that would just naturally be produced, but they wouldn't have the, the favor that they once had in agriculture and in livestock. And so it was not actually a good thing. And so what we see is that this child would be eating that. And before the end of two to three years, we say two to three, because if, if the, this initial, um, this initial prophecy was of a woman that at that point was a virgin would give birth. We got to give nine months yeah. for the birth to happen. And then we're imagining because that's the gestation years. period of a child. Yes. That's, that's what I'm told. Yeah. So, and, and even that word, like, so another thing that I did was uh, spend a lot of time on it that probably don't know if I needed to or not, but, uh, was really diving into the Hebrew word that they use for virgin there. And what's interesting is that the, the word, and I can't speak Hebrew, I'm not going to even try, but the word that they use there, as the people were listening or as they were reading that book of Isaiah, when they saw this word, they would have gone, eh, that's not the right word to use. Like it, it would have thrown them off just a little bit because in general terms, that word, if he was referring to this woman, they would, they would have used a different word for virgin. 
Hmm. However, he chose to use that one. Not that they were exclusive. Yeah. It wasn't like this is the only one you could use. Yeah. But the majority of the time, this word would be used for maiden, yeah. and this word would be used for virgin. And so, yeah. as Isaiah tells this, yeah. the people would have gone, eh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I probably would have used a different word. But, yeah. but it's the reason he used that, because in the New Testament, when in Greek it's translated, there is only one word, and that is the basically that Greek word is a virgin. So that is again, God knows what he's doing yeah. and he used the proper verbiage in the time of Isaiah that it could have been for that situation, but also, also and ultimately it was for that second fulfillment found in Matthew. So let me so yeah, so you're talking about different words here. So yeah. it'd be like uh, you could use the word eagles or you could use the word disappointment. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Something like that. After the Miami game. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. It makes, Sorry. makes perfect sense to me there. You know what? It's interesting. You're talking about the prophecy and the, uh, the dollar bills and Texas. It's yeah. like, I wanted to go ask the the, the, the the actuary or math class, right? So, did you take into account the virgin birth? Yeah. Because if that's one of the prophecies, it's like, couldn't <laughs> right. you just have filled the whole earth with it? Right. Because. Right. That is scientifically impossible, right? right. And so, that, right. That, you know, so it's interesting to think through uh, those as well. So, uh, so there's two different pieces. There is the the um, the timeless. Okay, what does it mean for us? The, the timely. You know, one yeah. of my favorite books, um, Gordon and Fee wrote. That's their last name. It's called um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Okay. Would recommend it to anyone, right? If you're trying to figure out how do you figure out the Bible, use it for teaching. And in that, they say there is one question that you should always be asking. Now you got to think context, you got to think history. But at the end of the, the end of the day, at the end of the passage, in the pericope, whatever, whatever term you want to call it, right? There is one question you have to ask, which is, what's the point? Yeah. Like, right. what's the point? So right. I can read all this, I can understand it all, I can sort through it all, and I think we should. Like all yeah. the context, got to figure out what's going on with the Southern Northern Kingdom. Got to figure out what the manual. So if you were to say, and you know, you know, with concision in some way, right. what? What is the point of this? Like, yeah. what does God, you think, want us uh, to know and therefore do as a result of yeah. this? So. Uh, so I really think that it has to do with the second fulfillment of that prophecy that here we are 700 years before. And, and as we talked about in the series, and even Josh kind of talked about, it, all the way back in Genesis, we see kind of the first prophecy that there was a plan in place, that, yeah. that God would redeem his people. And so here's the first utterance in Isaiah. And I really think that this is just going, hey, there's hope for Israel. There's hope for Judah, both those tribes. And and at this point, at least the snapshot in my mind is that they are so far off from where God wanted them to be or where he'd hoped them to be that they, it's almost like they can't get back to where they should be. However, it's not in their ability that ultimately God is going to be looking through the lens of God is looking through what he's going to do with his son and how his son is going to make it so that we're in right standing. So in my mind, the way that I would answer that, and uh, I, I would be interested in your answer to that question too, but like in my mind, I would say that the point of this is really to give the prophecy of this second fulfillment where Christ would be born. And it's a proclamation in part of the new Jerusalem that would be established. So I would say that this is part of the hope. So again, Isaiah is uh, two messages, kind of judgment and hope. I would say that this is part of the hope that we can experience even now, but it was a prophecy for then, but also for the future of the hope that God yeah. would give. Yes, I think so, I think it reveals a couple of things. One, and very good to talk about, okay, if God created all this, why? One, yeah. for us to marvel at. Yeah. Two, for us to actually be with him. Right, right, right. So 
I think at the end of the day that the purpose of God showing up here was the model something. He is not saying one day you get to come to heaven. He's going, no, I'm coming to you. I'm yeah, coming to set right. up a house with you. And so right. it's kind of those two pieces. God creates and you know, the pinnacle of his creation, human beings, yeah. so that we can marvel at his right. goodness and his greatness and give him glory, right? And the second piece is so that we can be with him. And so you yeah. see that in this passage. God is going, you, you should be amazed at this prophecy. You should be amazed at the yeah. story that I've the written. 300 prophecies. Yeah. And if am- eight of them yeah. are mathematically so, almost whatever. Yeah. So. Which means that it wasn't like God was reactive. Right. So, you know, I was That's watching, right. um, we were watching Home Alone this yeah. weekend. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. It's interesting. It's so weird what you don't realize and, uh, as a like just a kid watching it versus now being an adult. Going, right. That's not a good right. word. Right. <laughs> so oop, that's not a good man. They call each other names, you know, like yeah. all sorts of stuff. But you know, I was talking to the kids there watching it and I'm going, Kevin got really lucky. Right. Because he sets up all the stuff in the house. And what happens if they go through a different door? Yeah. Like how in the world? Like, I mean, all of this gets that's wrecked right. if right. they just don't do the one thing. Like really a shoe's got to come off because of the tar and then the nail. Like it's like. I was like, wow, Some Kevin was yeah, Kevin was brilliant. And you go, what happened to that it happened? Yeah. You go, well, it has to happen. Well, the reason it has to happen is because there is a, an author who is writing right. the story and That's then right. playing the parts there. That's and right. so in many ways, that gets really, really confusing and may hurts my head and go, but the beautiful thing about this is when God created the world, he knew exactly what would happen. That's right. And he knew that there would be a master story. And he is, that's why I love the term, he's bending and shaping all things yeah. for our good and his glory. Even the fact that, yeah. you know, Ahaz is a bad king, but yeah. through his offspring, it comes Jesus. Even though, you know, Adam and Eve, they make some bad decisions. But even through their offspring comes Jesus. So there's right. always, like, there's just this funnel. Right. And we can get off track and we can go all the way around the funnel. But it just, what I love about this, I think the big point here is going, God is going to do what he's going to do. Right. And either we can, like even the, I was watching Home Alone, you know, there's at the end, well, finally they do the the right thing. Like Kevin's like, you can't get me. And he runs in the basement of the other house, you know, yeah. and, and the, you, this is finally when Joe Pesci's like, ah, we're not yeah, going this time. Like, man, this guy's so smart, right? Because <laughs> before he's like, no, he wants us to go downstairs. Let's climb the rope. Yeah, yeah, that's what he wants you to do, right? And so he gets there and that's finally where he gets him and hangs him up on the hook. Right, right. And I was thinking about trying to remember that for the first time. Like, am I panicked okay. there? Okay. Like, am I worried? I was looking at, you know, Sophie. She's kind of cowering in there. Like, that's my youngest because she's never seen the movie before. Okay. And then that's where the, you know, the creepy neighbor who yeah. who's uses way too much salt for our environment. <laughs> he comes and he takes him out off. And it's like, yeah. well, I wasn't worried in that moment because I know how the story goes. Right. You know, and it's like. That's right. I feel like there's something to just be reminded about this whole Emmanuel mm-hmm. piece that. You know, as as we kind of sort through it, that God is is a billion years ahead of us. Yeah, not even like a couple minutes ahead of us. He's yeah. a billion years ahead of us. And so, you look at this and you say, "Okay, if this is the case, then what's my best option?" I know you got to work through soul freedom. What does this mean? Do we have the freedom to do these things? And it's All like right, right. over and over again, we have the freedom to make the right decision. Right. And over and over again, we make the wrong one. And the best part about God as this providential sovereign God is he always fixes our bad decisions. Always. It's like, how dare him? No, yeah. he fixes your bad decisions. Right. How dare him tell me? No, no, he fixes your bad decisions. Right. And so even this, you see, God fixes bad decisions. So if there is anything else you go, I wish I would have said this, want to really kind of lean into this, wish I would have communicated this, or I hope they really understood this. Is there any of that stuff for you? Yeah, I I feel like, so a lot of the, the stuff in my mind that I, I wanted to get to, I think we've talked about, but I I just, I guess more than anything that there is hope, like it, 
if God revealed that his son, 700 years before he comes, would be our Emmanuel, that he's always with us, like that should bring peace, that should bring comfort. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult and that you won't experience hardship, but that should bring a level of security in us that, man, God is, God is in control, that he sees all things, that he knows all things, and that with him by my side, I can get through anything. And it's not like a self-empowering, like, I can do yeah. it. And it's, it's more of God cares. And if we turn to him in humility, because that's all that Ahaz had to do. He had to just simply humble himself. If we can humble ourselves and we can recognize that, that Christ is our Emmanuel, then I think that we can, it doesn't mean that it won't be difficult, but we can experience and go through anything in life and God will be there with us and we'll find, we can find comfort, we can find healing, we can find whatever it is that we need God has for us because he's with us. So I think that that's kind of what, more than anything, what I hope people remember and, I, and again, it's not just, again, when God reveals his character, when he reveals his name, he reveals his character, he reveals his nature. So it's not just a Christmas name. It's not just one that we talk about in December. Now, we do talk about it in December because there's a lot of songs that talk about it. But he is Emmanuel in May and in yeah. August and in every season of life. That is who he is. So I think more than anything that that was kind of the point that I wanted people to get is that. God is with us. And if you can see how all of this story and all of this context fits into what God is doing and where he's going, man, there can be hope even in a season where you don't experience much hope. What would you say to the person who says, okay, I get that. I get that he's Emmanuel, but sure doesn't seem like he's with me. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Like I I, I almost don't know how to respond. Like I feel like it's, it's... in my mind, what I guess I'm thinking is if I've just experienced a loved one mm-hmm. passing, like that's not something that's easy. Yeah. It's not something that you're going to go, yeah, God's Emmanuel and I can get through this. Because in the moment, you're probably going, I don't know if I can get through this. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to do this without that loved one. So I, I feel like I don't have any great words of advice other than the fact that God still promises in that he's there. Like in that He's grieving with you. He's walking with you. I think that you can find community. Um, and, and not that this, again, it's easy to talk about, yeah. but it, when you're in that, it's not so easy. Like this is, this is why it's, you know, easy to say this now, but when you're in it, you don't want anybody say, to say that to you, right? Yeah. Like if I was saying this to, same thing to somebody that yeah. was in the middle of that, it would sound so cold and heartless yeah. and judgmental because there's just a lot of emotion there. But I really believe that if God is with us, then he is with us. And we have to learn to to take small steps of faith and to just trust and believe in him. Yeah, so there's one answer where I'd go, you're wrong. But you're just like someone in the middle of pain going, God, I don't feel like God's with me. And I'd go, you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's not, it's true. They're wrong. When I say it, I think it all the time. God seems so absent. Well, yeah. you're wrong. God is there. He is present and he is declare that in the scriptures. No, it doesn't yeah. feel that way. And right. So that you're right. It right. doesn't feel cold. And so here's where I challenge you guys, particularly for those of you kind of walking in a good season, right? Get two different folks. You have folks in struggles. And boy, we have them. Boy, do we in Christmas is really a season of struggle yeah. for a lot of people. Like I was just sharing um, uh, with some folks earlier today that two, one mentor and one pastor 
friend several years ago during this Thanksgiving to Christmas season, both took their lives. Like there's yeah. just something about where it just seems so hopeless in this. And so um, if you're in a season that's not that way, here, yeah. here would be my yeah. recommendation. If someone says to you, God doesn't seem like he's with me, and yeah. you go, well, he's with me. Yeah. And I would like to be with you. Right. Right. right? And so, it, well, he's with me. Right. So for those of you who have walked through a journey where know that he's there and say it confident, like you're confident in that, then the good news is, is perhaps God in you is, yeah. is how that works. Yeah. So if you're in this really confident spot, the way by which a church that we can love people well is going, if God seems absent for you, he's with me. Yeah. So that's a resource, right? So you don't have money right now. Well, I have extra. So there's, yeah. how do I share that? And so maybe part of this process is that you're going right now on the overflow of my heart. God is just doing some really neat stuff. And yeah. so he's with me. So let's, Get into the ditch of people who's not. No. Right, right. If you're on the other side of it, going, well, he just seems really absent. Well, then come be a part of a church that yeah. goes, no, 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 no. We understand that. Boy, I've been there. I've been there. I've been there in the last couple of weeks. God just seems absent, right? Yeah. And so this isn't, we have it all figured out. There's this ebb and flow right, of life. Like right. we see it with Julie and I with when, you know, our kids are misbehaving. Sometimes it really bothers her. And I, like, she, like, so she's not very happy about it. And I have to be the calm one. And then it's like it switches. Like all of a sudden, she's, they they say something, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh no, you didn't!" And then all of a sudden, like Julie's can we switch, and she becomes the calm one, and I'm just like, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, so those are just the ebbs and flows right. of the tension that we live in. We're going. Sometimes God seems really present. Right. If that's where you are, share with what's around you. Yeah. If you absolutely. feel really, really at, if He seems really, really absent, then find some people who that are just walking in a good spot with the Lord and. Yeah. That's why I think the church is such a beautiful part to do yeah. that. I think so. community is such a huge part of that. Like not to make it like, here's your answer in a box, like find community. But I think communities play such a huge part. So yeah. as my wife and I in the past have experienced loss and heartache, like it was community that we leaned into and community that yeah. really, we knew that we were cared for and we knew that we were loved. And yeah. and it wasn't anything like one thing in particular, yeah. but it was just, we knew that this church and this community yeah. was there to support us. And that made a world of difference. So I think I would echo the same thing that if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you found it by accident or you just stumbled into it or whatever, that if you're listening to this and in this season where you're experiencing a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, like feeling God is distant, man, I, I really want to encourage you to get connected to a community. It doesn't have to be this one. Like it doesn't matter where you are. Like find a community, preferably I would say of Bible believing, yeah. you know, Christians that are going to be there to help support you and encourage you and walk you through that. But so many times, for me at least personally, I found comfort in the people of God, but also yeah. just in the community that comes yeah. from that. So, so there's two pieces of God with us. One, we can yeah. find comfort in that God is meaning us what it is. The other, we can find confidence that God is with us. Yeah. Meaning, right. Right. That's why I think the Bible believing piece is really, really important. We look at this and go, no, 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 he's Emmanuel. No, no, yeah. no. It's you, yeah. him and us forever. And that's it's already started. Yeah. So it is come join in the community. And what you'll discover is that uh, there'll be some highs and lows, but through it, you'll have community and you'll have God with you. And so I think that's yeah. pretty important to kind of work through is the story of Christmas is that, that God models that he, there is nothing he's not willing to do right. to be with us. Right. You know, other yeah. than about being a baby. So. Yeah. I think that's all that I've got. So. 
thanks for joining us if you're still with us, man. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, so this it upcoming... wasn't so bad being on this side. Isn't that bad, huh? It wasn't yeah, that bad. Yeah, it's easy, easy. I'm not, this side's hard, man. That's not easy, right? <laughs> you got to actively listen. I know. Man. It's, it's like, oh my part. gosh. Well, actively listening is not the same as waiting to talk <laughs> and learning. So this week, uh, this will be week two of Wonder. We'll be looking yeah. at the story of Zechariah and a barren wife and all sorts of complications that happens there. And so, you know someone in the season of real barrenness and pain? Yeah. This would be the week uh, for them to show up. We'll be gracious and kind and sensitive and yet point them to a real hope that was found in Emmanuel. So that's it. You have a great, great rest of your week. If you, uh, tomorrow night's cow if you're watching this on Tuesday. And we'll be at Lincoln University. Yeah. Bye-bye. Good job, Ben. Way to go.